Jay Michael Edwards welcoming you back to the Majestic Academy, a ministry of Majestic Business Solutions committed to educating, enlightening, and edifying. I hope you are getting something out of this series. We are in the end times, and it's important we learn about what's coming. In today's lesson, Pastor Don continues the topic of the Antichrist in a lesson called The Beast from Out of the Sea. Let's listen in. Thank you, our humble announcer man, J. Michael Edwards. Uh, here we are again, folks. We are in episode number 31. Episode 31 here in the Majestic Academy in our series, The Book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The Beast from Out of the Sea. Buckle up, as J. Michael would say, buckle up. This is an interesting, interesting, and very important lesson. I'm going to be reading, so get your, uh, get your Bibles out. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. And again, I hope you're bringing your Bibles to the Academy. It's so important that we have the Word of God uh, in our lives and at the ready. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10 says this, And I stood up, I'm sorry, back that up. <laughs> I need to read this properly. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Father, what an incredible portion of scripture this is. We thank you for it. Help us to understand these words. Help me to uh, portray the truth uh, from your word. We thank you for it. Bless those that are hearing today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, wow, this, uh, I'll tell you what, this is an amazing, an amazing portion of scripture. 
So let's get into this. In our last study, we met the Antichrist. We tried to consider what the Bible says about this coming world ruler who is called the man of sin, the son of perdition. The Antichrist gives us an opportunity to see how Satan operates. The devil is an imitator. He takes what God does and he tries to duplicate it. We would say in as we were kids, he's a copycat. He's a copycat. You see, Jesus, the real Christ, is a revelation of God the Father. In John 1, there are three verses that are worthy of note. These verses in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These verses teach us the truth that Jesus is a living, breathing revelation of God the Father. Verse 18, the word declared translates the Greek word that gives us our English word exegesis, which means to narrate, to explain, to lead out, to draw out. It speaks of an explanation or a narration, a narration. It's a narrative. In preaching, we use exegesis to lead out and explain the truths contained in the text. When Jesus came, he came to explain, to lead out, to narrate. God. In other words, Jesus Christ was and is God in the flesh. He was able to say, I and my Father are one in John 10.30. He was also able to say, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father in John 14.9. Jesus is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. So I'll tell you what, when I witness to people, I'll try to lead them to the Lord. This is a very hard thing for people to comprehend and understand. And it's, it's probably the one thing that people disagree with the most is that God is, I'm sorry, that Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. I and my Father are one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made God. And the Word was flesh and dwelt amongst us, okay? He, was, he is God in the flesh. We need to really, really get that. We need to explain that to... Uh, our friends and some of these other religions uh, because I'll tell you what most of these religions whether it's Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or others they will not accept the fact that Jesus is God moving on in the Antichrist Satan attempts to duplicate this relationship between Jesus Christ and God the Father the Antichrist will be a living, breathing revelation of the devil. He will be the devil incarnate. He will be the devil in the flesh. We know that our God is a triune being. He is one God who manifests himself in three persons. Let me say that again. He is one God. God is one God who manifests himself in three persons. He is Father. He is Son. And he is Holy Ghost. All three are one, yet each is an individual person. They come together to make up the Holy Trinity. And I know I'm, I'm speaking that very slowly. I want us to get this. I want us to get this. And it's not ranked one, two, and three like you'll see in some like Catholicism. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And they rank that as God being number one, as the Son being number two, and the Holy Ghost being number three. No, they are one. They are one. They are three personages, okay? There are three persons, distinct persons, distinct personalities, but they are one God. 
And if you're listening to this, you probably would agree with me, but, but I'm trying to help you to be able to explain this to your, to your family and friends, uh, that the Trinity is one. Moving on. In Revelation 12 and 13, we're introduced to the Satanic Trinity. Satan imitates God the Father. The Antichrist imitates God the Son. The false prophet, who we're going to look at here in our next lesson, uh, imitates God the Holy Spirit. So, let's give our attention once again to this man who will be known as Antichrist. These verses give us some important details concerning his mission, his methods, and his miracles. So, we're going to take a look at these first 10 verses of Revelation 13. We'll talk about the beast from out of the sea. We see the appearance of the beast. We see how he originates. As John stands on a seashore, a mysterious beast rises from out of the sea. This is symbolic language. The sea in the Bible represents the masses of humanity. This individual will come from among men. In other words, he, while he may possess power that surpasses all the other great rulers of the world, he will be nothing more than a man. The Antichrist will be empowered by Satan and he will wield tremendous power and authority. But unlike Jesus Christ, he will have a human mother and father. He will not be a God-man like Jesus. He will be a man who receives his kingdom and his power from Satan himself. Where will he come from and what will be his nationality? No one knows. <laughs> we see people suggest George W. Bush is the Antichrist. Barack Obama is the Antichrist. In George Bush, people have assigned a numerical value to each of the letters in his name. And he claims they equal 666. <laughs> he adds up all the letters and makes them into numbers and 666. According to the Bible, and we'll see this in a minute, the Antichrist will lead a ten-nation confederacy that re resembles the received, revived Roman Empire. Therefore, he may be European by birth. Of course, Daniel 11.37 tells us that he, will, that he will not regard the God of his fathers. This verse leads many to speculate that he will be Jewish by birth. The fact is, my friends, no one knows. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, we know who the Antichrist is. There's many Antichrists out there. Many Antichrists. I'm doing the uh, one of the state fairs right now in a soul winning booth. I'll tell you what. <laughs> There's a lot of Antichrists out there. People who definitely are Antichrist. Anyway, anyone who says they know who the Antichrist is going to be, uh, they are way, way, way off base. So we also see how he operates. These verses give us a little insight into this man called Antichrist. The symbolic language tells us something about what kind of man he is and also something about the nature of the kingdom he will rule. We see he has seven heads. The explanation for this is given in Revelation 17.9. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Revelation 17 is a passage about the great harlot or the apostate church that will dominate the world religion during the tribulation period. We are told that the harlot sits on seven hills. There is only one city in the world that is built on seven hills. Guess what city that is? 
I'll wait while you guess. It is none other than the city of Rome. Guess who abides in the city of Rome? And I'll let you guess that. We also see he has ten horns. Horns are a symbol of power and authority. Again, these horns are explained in Revelation 17.12. We are told that the ten horns are ten kings. And then we see ten crowns. These ten kings have great authority and power. The Antichrist will arise from among this confederation of ten powerful kings. And then we see the names of blasphemy. These world leaders will stand in open defiance of all that is holy or that has to do with God. Now, let me note this. Many believers uh, that, that what we are seeing here, uh, they say it's a revival of the ancient Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was never really defeated. It was just kind of dissolved into separate kingdoms. There have been many attempts to revive it down through the centuries. Charlemagne, Napoleon, and Hitler tried, but they all failed. Apparently, the Roman Empire will be revived again, and the Antichrist will dominate this confederation of nations. We are already seeing the process come to pass in this European Union. It's been around for a while now. The Union is comprised of 25 European nations with five more who are candidates for admission. And we know this is kind of shrinking as some countries are uh, leaving the EU. But the land area occupied by these nations covers much of uh, the land occupied by the old Roman Empire. I think we'll see this body produce the Antichrist and provide the ten kings who will rule the world at the beginning of the tribulation period. To understand the description given of this beast in these verses, you have to go back to Daniel 17.3. In Daniel's vision, he describes the great world empire that will follow one after another until the end of the world. Daniel speaks of a lion in verse 4. This beast pictures the Babylonian Empire. Like a lion, ancient Babylon was powerful, fearsome, and had a ravenous appetite for domination. The bear in verse 5 speaks of the Medo-Persian Empire. Like a bear, it possessed incredible power to crush its enemies. The leopard in verse 6 speaks of the Greek Empire. It is called a leopard because the Greeks were quick to dominate the world. And the fourth beast is, in verse 7 is the Roman Empire. With teeth of iron, they dominated the ancient world. The Bible is teaching us that the Antichrist will possess the power and the personality of all these ancient empires. He will combine all their strength and possess none of their weaknesses. His body like a leopard, his rise to power will be swift. He has a feet like a bear, he will crush his opponents. He has a mouth like a lion, like a lion he will devour all who dare stand in his way and he's called a beast. The word beast refers to a wild animal. It is used as a metaphor of a man who is brutal, savage, and ferocious. Like a wild animal, Antichrist will attack the kingdoms of the world, and he will destroy all who get in his path. He will be, my friends, a fearsome and powerful man. We see how he officiates. We are told that the Antichrist rules the world, but not by his own power. He is if you will, Satan's superman. He is energized by the dark prince. We are told that Satan gives him three things. He gives him his power. This word refers to strength, power, and ability. He gives him his seat. This is his throne. 
He rules because Satan has given him dominion. Then he has great authority. This word refers to the ability to do as one pleases. The Antichrist will do as he pleases on this earth for a time, and no one will be able to stop him. The Antichrist will accept the offer Jesus refused in Matthew 4. When Jesus was on a mountain temptation, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would bow down and worship the devil. We see that in Matthew 4, 8, and 9. Jesus refused Satan's ridiculous offer. It appears, however, that the Antichrist will accept and the Antichrist will rule the world. Satan will control this future world ruler. Now this is an interesting parallel that I want to point out here. The human heart was made to be occupied. When you are lost, the heart is occupied and controlled by Satan. Read Ephesians 2, 1-3. through 3. I share that with people when I'm trying to uh, witness to them and, and share the gospel. And, and uh, it's one of those comments that I use carefully and sparingly. But when I do, people, uh, wow, they, they get a bit offended, as you can imagine. But it's the truth. Uh, anyway, when a person is saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart and assumes control of your life. If you have never received Jesus as your Savior, and here it is, my friends, read it in John 8:44. Satan is your Lord and your Master. I didn't say that. John 8:44 says that. And so we looked at the appearance of the beast, and then also look at the achievements of the beast. In verse 3, he receives the world's wonder. At some point during the Antichrist reign, He'll die. It may be by assassination or some other form of upheaval, but he will be killed. And as the world watches and mourns the death of this popular man, a miraculous thing happens. Guess what? This dead man comes back from the dead. He experiences a resurrection. Now remember I told you that Satan is an imitator. In this verse, we are told that Satan seeks to duplicate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's Son died on the cross and rose from the dead, and the world, for the most part, ignores him. This man will die and rise again, and the world will wonder. Ooh, ah, they'll wonder after him. He has the world right where he wants it, eating out of the palm of his hand. And then he also, in verse 4, receives the world's worship. Whether this resurrection is real or just a bit of satanic sleight of hand, we don't know. Yet the citizens of the world will be taken in. They'll be so caught up in the power, the glory, and the wonder of the Antichrist that they will actually give him their worship. The world will bow before this hellish king and give him what they have steadfastly refused to give God. And just as God receives the worship of man through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan will receive the worship of man through the Antichrist. He will be getting what he has always wanted. Men will worship the beast and the devil. What a tragedy! While heaven rejoices over the fact that Satan has been cast out of heaven, in Revelation 12, verse 10, the earth dwellers give their worship to the devil. The world will declare the Antichrist to be undefeatable. What they fail to understand is that there will come a day when Antichrist will be defeated. 
and cast into hell. We see that in Revelation 19, 20 and 20 verse 10. Yes, that's right. Jesus will be able to defeat the devil Superman with no problem. But may I also point out the truth that God's people living during the tribulation can defeat him as well in Revelation 12, 11. Satan has power and the Antichrist will have power, but they will face on who has all the power in Mark 28, 18. He will defeat them, he will destroy them, and he, our Lord and Savior, will judge them. And so the appearance of the beast, the achievements of the beast, then let's look at the activities of the beast. The Antichrist will use his newfound power over men to further Satan's agenda. This verse tells us that um, what kind of man the Antichrist will be. We see that in verses 5 through 8 of our text. In verses 5 and 6, he defies God. The Antichrist will be a man of great oratorical ability. <laughs> he will be a great orator. <clears throat> he will be able to move the masses with the power of his tongue. If you are ever, if you are, ah, if you, if you have ever seen films of Adolf Hitler, you've seen a man who understood the power of the tongue, the power of the spoken word. By his words, he stirred up a nation and convinced them that they could rule the world. He convinced the German people that they were superior to all others on this planet. Hitler's words brought about unbelievable suffering and, and innumerable deaths. Satan once said, you say something long enough and loud enough and people will eventually believe you. And let me tell you, just look around you today. The fake news media, they're saying they're, they're, they're lying. They're lying, and they're lying, and they're lying, and they're saying all these things over and over and over and over, and, and the people here in the United States especially, they're believing them. They're believing the lie. Socialism is good. Socialism is, socialism is good. We're going to give you everything you need and want. Socialism is good, and guess what? Now people are believing it. That socialism is the, is the end of their starvation, if you will, and their misery and their suffering. Uh, let me get off of that. <laughs> but it's true. You say something long enough and loud enough, people will eventually believe you. When the Antichrist comes, his power with words will make Hitler seem like a babbling idiot. The Antichrist will galvanize the nations of the world with the power of his words. He will speak great things, the Bible says, and they will believe him. He will speak blasphemies against God of heaven and they will worship him. He will use his words to attack everything that has to do with God, and the world will hang on his every word. He will do everything in his power to turn humanity against God. He will declare himself to be God. In verse 7, he destroys the saints. Antichrist will make it his mission to seek out and destroy anyone who still worships God. There will be people saved during the tribulation. Yes, there will. These people will become the focus of Antichrist's intense hatred of God. He will not be able to defeat the 144,000 Jewish preachers as they travel the world preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He will not be able to defeat the two witnesses who stand in Jerusalem to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He will not be able to stop them until their time is finished, and then he will be allowed to kill them too. But anyone else on this earth who refuses to bow to him in worship will be put to a martyr's death. 
He dominates the nation in verse 7, the last half of that verse. The Antichrist will rule the world. Every nation will come under his power and domination. He will be able to be the ultimate world ruler. He will be the king of the world. Remember that? I am the king of the world. Titanic. Anyway, in verse 8, he deceives the masses. This verse is crystal clear. Every person who is not saved by God's grace will eventually bow in worship if Satan is the Superman of the world, and he will be. Now notice that these worshipers are called all that dwell upon the earth. The word dwell means to settle down. This phrase refers to people who have chosen to make this world their home. I love that song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Amen. They have decided that they aren't interested in heaven or anything God has to offer them. They have staked all their hopes and their futures in this world. God abandons them to their choice. You want to live here? Great. Stay here. They want the world and he lets them have it with all the consequences that come with their decision. You can make the decision, but you cannot avoid the consequences. These earth dwellers have refused God and his Messiah, and they have chosen Satan and his false Messiah. God gives them up and lets them go after the world and the God, small g, that they have chosen. Look at that in 2 Thessalonians 2. 1 through 12. I'm sorry, 11 through 12. And so, let me ask you, my friends, which world have you chosen? The Lord will allow you to have the Christ you want. You can have the Lord Jesus Christ if you will receive him as Savior. If not, you may live in this world long enough to worship the Antichrist. And so, in conclusion, the final two verses of our text have a special meaning for us today. Verse 9 says, If any man have an ear, let him hear. Do you recognize this statement? We've seen a statement like this several times in Revelation 2, 7, 11, 17, and 29, and chapter 3, verse 6, 13, and 22. If you go and read these verses, you will find that they say, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Do you see what is missing? These things, these two things are missing here. The Spirit and the churches. Both the Spirit and the church were removed from the world at the rapture. Let me repeat that because it's, it's really important. Verse 9 in the book of Revelation here in our chapter, it says, If any man have an ear, let him hear. To the church... He says, He that hath an ear, let him hear with the Spirit, capital S, said into the churches. Those two words, capital S, Spirit, and churches, are the church. Both the Spirit and the church were removed from the world at the rapture. So these people that say the church will go through the tribulation, this is what they're missing. These two words are missing after Revelation 4.1. The church is removed after, before the tribulation. They're removed. 
The age of grace has ended and the world is in the grip of the great tribulation. When God speaks, he does not warn his people. He warns the earth dwellers. But it is too late for them to repent. They are locked in their choice and they will worship the beast and they will die and they will go to hell. Verse 10 drives this point home. The whole, the whole point of verse 10 is that the people reap what they sow in Galatians 6-7. If you live for the devil, you will reap the devil. If you reject Jesus, you will be rejected by Jesus. The time to make that choice is today. There will come a day when it will be too late. When will that day be? No one knows but the Lord. It could be today, tonight, or tomorrow. There will come a day when God will stop calling you and he will abandon you to your choice. If you are not saved, you need to come to Jesus right now today. If you are saved, verse 10 has a word of hope. It says, The patience and faith of the saints is the knowledge that in the end, Satan and Antichrist will be defeated and God in his righteousness will reign. The main thing today is for each person in this room, okay, in the academy, sitting in their seats with their Bibles open, each person in this room will be sure that the earth, that the world that they are hooked into. Are you an earth dweller? Are all your hopes and dreams locked up in this world? Or are you a citizen of heaven? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? If so, my friends, you will not face the Antichrist or the horrors of the tribulation. So do you know where you're going right now? If you were to die today, where would you go? That's a question I ask people. If you were to die today, where would you go? If you can't say heaven immediately after that question, you're not saved. People that are born again, when I ask them that question, they say, absolutely. They don't hesitate. Anybody that just hesitates for just half a second, I believe, and I may be wrong, but I think my experience holds true, they're not born again. And so... If you hesitated when I asked you that question, are you going to heaven when you die? You need to be saved. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You need to confess your sins and ask him in your heart today. Won't you do that? Won't you do that? Get your family and friends to do that. So until next time, keep looking up and listening for the shout. And your humble host here in the Academy is back. Is your head swimming yet? There are so many things going on, but hang on to your hat. There are many more coming up. We've looked at Satan. We've looked at the Antichrist. In our next lesson, we will look at the third beast in the unholy trinity, the false prophet. We continue to urge you to bring your family and friends to the Academy to listen to these lessons. Until next time, this is J. Michael Edwards reminding you to keep looking up and listening for the shouts.